Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Hey, welcome back to Politico Tech. It's Monday, August 21st. I'm your host, Stephen Overly. Today's guest has an idea so bold, he quickly put a disclaimer on it. Frankly, it's a bad idea. It's just all the other choices are so much worse. That's Charles Jennings. Since the 90s, he's been the CEO of a string of West Coast software companies. The last was an artificial intelligence firm called Neuraleye that developed facial recognition and computer vision technology. But now in retirement, Charles has taken a more cautious, some might even say fearful, view of AI, which led to his idea to nationalize artificial intelligence. I love this show. It's a little bit radical, but it's the kind of conversations I think a lot of us want to be having, a lot of us should be having, when we talk about emerging technologies. So on today's show, you'll hear his concerns about the potential for the most advanced AI systems to spiral out of control and even threaten our humanity. In this article you've written for Politico magazine, you have this bold idea, which is to nationalize artificial intelligence. Um, How would that actually work? A, my article is meant to be provocative. My chief goal is to get everyone thinking. B, I think we need to nationalize parts of AI, as I make clear in the heart of the article, uh, the leading edge of it, the most advanced. It would be impractical to nationalize all of AI as if it were a railroad. That's not what I'm saying. It's that we need to have government leadership of the cutting edge elements of this society and I mean of this technology. And so it's very important that we either A, induce the big tech companies who control AI, they're the world leaders in it, you know, you know the names, Amazon, Microsoft, etc. We need to get them to come in to a level of collaboration that has not happened yet between government and tech, or we need to, or we need to nationalize the tech. Those are the two choices I think for them. In this context, how are you defining cutting edge exactly? Because, you know, to me, AI is one of these technologies that is evolving so quickly. It sort of seems like cutting edge is kind of a moving target. Absolutely. There are a number of major highly advanced AI models in the world today, and there will be more and more every day in the future. I'm not interested or or suggesting that we nationalize every iteration, every use, every application of these models. It's the models themselves, the core uh, capability to autonomously learn and to operate autonomously that needs to get special attention by government. And at the end of the day, we only have two choices. I call these, this type of technology, the equivalent of the nuclear codes of AI. These, this stuff is really powerful. And we only have two choices. Either the, the big tech guys run it, or we, the people, the citizens do through the government. It's not gonna be easy. Uh, government's not really equipped to do that today. Certainly you can't, I'm not saying, you know, Congress should regulate it. You know, I don't think Congress is remotely capable of keeping up with AI, 
We need something new. Uh, I call it the Humane AI Commission. The Humane AI Commission, okay. What would that, what would that look like? Because I, I, I'm wondering kind of what kind of government structure would be equipped to manage you know, this cutting edge AI? So luckily we have sort of a precedent. It's called the Atomic Energy Commission. People are now more familiar with it because of the film Oppenheimer. It was created by Truman in 1947. It consisted initially of five citizens. And against all odds, I mean, they had their problems, as the film makes point, it points out. But they kept the world safe from nuclear, uh, nuclear war, nuclear weapons, for decades. And the way they did it was they, they were not, you know, political or overtly political. And eventually what happened by the mid-50s, it, it became controlled by experts who had no financial interest in nuclear weapons. And the, the AEC, Atomic Energy Commission, actually, actually owned the nuclear reactors that were used by the military for bombs, by Westinghouse for nuclear energy and so forth. My proposal for the Humane AI Commission is that we set up a new body uh, largely separated from government with the best AI experts we can find who are also not financially conflicted. And it, A and B, I think it needs to be a diverse group. One of the problems we have even were the more enlightened tech executives is that they're all male and they all they all are part of a very narrow tech culture if ai is going to provide a, the the big dividend that i can that's the positive side the big ai benefit it's going to have to be controlled by people with more, a, a greater and more diverse group of interests, life experiences, and it's got to be more humane than big tech wants it to be. There are going to be people who, you know, read read this, uh, you know, article or, or, or listen to our conversation here and think, if you nationalize cutting edge AI, that's essentially the same thing as killing it off in the U.S., you know, or, or and, and setting the U.S., at a disadvantage in this like global AI race. Is, is there validity to that argument in your view or, or not? No. In fact, there was an open letter of 700 AI scientists recently uh, sponsored by the Future of Life Institute, a group. I have signed <clears throat> some of their previous uh, petitions myself, but I did not sign this one because if we paused AI, that, they were calling for a pause in AI development. Major AI programs should be stopped for six months while we can kind of figure out what's happening. And if that's actually even possible, which I doubt, the big beneficiary would be China. And we are in a, a horse race with China and China has a lot of AI uh, investment and capability. They have the best K through 12 childhood AI education in the world. They have a whole city, Hangzhou, which is being run by an AI today very effectively. But they are using AI to spy on Uyghurs, to, they have a huge milita AI militarization program. We have no choice but to keep moving ahead aggressively. But we, 
are we willing to put all of the control into the hands of six or seven tech, you know, big tech CEOs, all male, all very much from one culture, and frankly, guys who use AI as a commercial weapon. Uh, the when famously now when Microsoft added ChatGPT to Bing. Uh, Satya Nadella did a, the CEO of Microsoft did an interview with Verge magazine where he said, quote, uh, I just wanted to make Google dance, you know, uh, <laughs> which is to me such a wild west image, you know, uh, th is that what they're thinking? And, and Nadella is one of the good guys, probably the best, but you know, it's, they're just not, they're, they, they're not the right people to be managing technology that's powerful. So we have to find a way, just as we did with the Atomic Energy Commission, nobody had figured it out in advance, but we have to get the government involved in some way, or we just say, okay, tech guys, we, we're gonna cross our fingers and hope you figure this out. I mean, there's certainly a drive for innovation that you have to question what guardrails are on it and what bigger picture uh, societal questions are being asked when engineers are, are constantly sort of pursuing, you know, the, the next iteration, the next evolution of technology like AI. You mentioned you were the CEO of a company called Neuraleye, which is, was an AI company. How would you have reacted if sort of the government had swooped in here and said, you know, okay, this technology is dangerous, we're going to need to take it over now? I'd have lobbied against it. Uh, you know, I think, I don't think I would have even conceived of nationalization component of our AI policy as even being possible a year ago. But this is an extraordinary technology. This is not just another kind of software. This is, and this is what I've experienced in AI labs, this technology I believe has emergent properties. That's a, that means it can pull a rabbit out of its hat and do things that you didn't know were possible. Uh, it is growing so fast. It's about to have this huge new acceleration from quantum computing, which is sooner coming sooner than most people think. Uh, it's racing ahead out of control now. I think that's why Jeff Hinton, who, you know, is the inventor of deep learning, the father of AI, probably the smartest man in the world, person in the world uh, with respect to AI, recently resigned from Google. And because of his concerns about what's happening with AI. Is your concern or, or what kind of unnerves you most here, that, that idea of AI kind of getting away from us and, and moving beyond us, us being, I guess, humans? Because <laughs> that, that seems to be kind of a recurring concern in, in what you wrote about as well, which is this idea that like AI will evolve beyond our own understanding of it. And then, you know, we're, we're really up a creek. That's correct. And, you know, it's not the only risk. There's the risk of bad actors using AI against us. You know, think of, you know, the, the malware hackers on steroids. Uh, there are nation states, uh, rogue states, North Korea, uh, Iran, others that might uh, become much more powerful and lethal through the use of AI. The genie's out of the bottle. I'm not saying we're going to put we're going to go backwards or that we should. I think, as I say in the article, we have no choice but to go forward. The international governing structures are much weaker than they were in Truman's time. The UN is 
very ineffective. I don't think that we're going to, you know, some of my colleagues advocate a CERN type program, you know, um, an international governing body. I don't think that'll work right now. I don't think we have any choice, but as a nation, the United States of America, to uh, confront the challenge of AI and the issue of big tech exclusive control. You're based on the West Coast. You know, you're not you're not here in uh, Washington. Uh, how are you anticipating this will be received among your tech colleagues there on the West Coast? <laughs> oh, I've I've had to tell people you you know you may need to disconnect me from all your from LinkedIn and everything else. I I, I don't imagine it's going to be a popular idea, and frankly, were I not. 75 years old and retired, maybe I wouldn't be saying it, I don't know. But right now, you know, I, I wrote a book on AI, did a lot of research, talked to a lot of people around the world about AI. I just had to be honest about where I see it going and what the best path to manage it would be and as you know, it, 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 government nationalization is like, you know, would be very difficult and painful. And it's a, frankly, it's a bad idea. It's just all the other choices are so much worse, but we've got to do something. To, to, to just follow questions for you on what you've said there, you know, what you mentioned, you know, being, being 75, being retired, which I wonder to what extent is your perspective here shaped by kind of having been through a career, having worked in tech, uh, you know, and, and having kind of the capacity to reflect now that you're no longer sort of in the, in the thick of it and feeling that pressure to innovate yourself. I don't know that I, it's the lack of pressure to innovate, but I must say that, you know, I started my first internet company in 1993. I've started a number of tech companies. I've seen our industry whether, you know, it was with, particularly with respect to privacy, which has always been a key issue of mine, uh, the, the rise of social media, the misinformation, disinformation capabilities that have developed because of technology, all those have been an increasing concern to me. And I am at the stage now where what's really important to me is that we preserve our core human values. I think getting AI managed properly is part of that. And the other side of it, which I do not speak about in the article, I do in my book a bit, is we need, we're gonna need to think about what it means to be human when we're no longer the smartest species in the room all the time, right? What, what is gonna be left? And I work with a university, University of Portland, as a consultant trying to figure out what the right curriculum is for, for today's college students when a lot of the traditional careers, the white collar careers are gonna be you know, taken over by AI. And so we need to double down on, on understanding what it means to be human. And we also need to understand there's a powerful new technology in our midst, uh, not unlike electricity in the you know, turn of the 20th century changed everything. Not unlike nuclear energy in the 1940s, we were able to get our hands around both of those somewhat successfully. We're still here. But this one is another serious challenge. 
When you talk to your contemporaries, I mean, do you, you know, about this, um, how often is this the, the topic of conversation? And do you think that there's agreement with you on these concerns about AI, on this sort of human identity crisis, you know, all of it? There is no question that there's great concern out there in my circle of colleagues and friends. You know, everyone knows of my AI focus and they're quite anxious to talk about it. On the other hand, I don't know that I've run into anybody who, who agrees that we should nationalize certain components of AI. That's a, that's a radical idea. And I get it. It's, it's not something that most people even want to think about. But I have to say, after racking my head against this wall for a number of years, I spent three years on AI policy consulting with the uh, Atlantic Council, trying to solve the Rubik's Cube of AI policy. What is the right thing to do? And honestly, this is uh, the only path I can see that gives us a chance of turning this into something really positive for humanity and protecting against its biggest threats. Well, um, Charles, I appreciate you being on Politico Tech. Hopefully uh, you're not driven into witness protection by your uh, <laughs> by the, the folks out there in Silicon Valley. But uh, I'm, I'm, glad you brought, I'm glad you brought this idea to us today. Well, OK, I, again, my main intent is to get everyone thinking about it more, talking about it, because it really is an important issue. Absolutely. Thank you, Stephen. Take care. OK, bye. You can find Charles's full article on Politico.com. Here are two events I'll be watching today. Senate Commerce Chair Maria Cantwell is holding an AI forum with reps from Amazon and Microsoft in her native Washington state. And in New Hampshire, Senator Maggie Hassan is convening a field hearing on the cyber threats facing K-12 schools. That's all for Politico Tech today. Should the federal government hold the keys to AI? Give us your take at techpodcast@politico.com. And for more tech news, subscribe to our newsletters, Digital Future Daily and Morning Tech. Music in today's show comes from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Our senior producer is Annie Reese. Our editors are Steve Heuser and Louisa Savage. I'm Stephen Overly. Let's meet back here tomorrow.